today's list is about what will be literally a list. Now, a list can't make the list, so let me explain. When the NFL season begins, week one, every news out will have somebody at each game to see who stays in the locker room during the National Anthem. They will make a list. And the players who make that list will be vilified by Trump's disciples and probably by Trump himself. Vilified just as certainly and as badly as if they'd come to the sideline and taken a knee. Those players will be vilified, the ones who stay in the locker room, but get no impact from their protests. No visual, just vilification. So my advice to these athletes is, if you're going to stay in the locker room, don't. Come on out and take a knee. Get some bang for your buck, and it's not even your buck. It's the team that's going to get fired. And my advice to the quasi-journalists who are going to compel a list of names for vilification and retribution is get a life and get a real job. And guess what? You just made the list. Nobody likes a tattletale, Danny, except, of course, me. The list brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name you can trust. Dial 412-367-0815 for all your plumbing, heating, and cooling needs. I'd like to wish a happy birthday. She just got out of the hospital. North Allegheny High School stripper queen, Sarah Flaviano. Sarah Flaviano turned, I'm not sure what age today. It's probably about half of her breast size. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. To repeat the big stories of the day, uh, Rally's Burgers are coming back to Pittsburgh. There used to be two. They closed. Now there's going to be 12, and I could not be happier. Pirates lost 5-4 at Cincinnati. Nova got his ass kicked. Meadows hit another home run. What's wrong with Kingham in the rotation and Meadows in the outfield as a regular? Until Meadows stops hitting anyway. But that's not the way it works out with the Pirates ever. Uh, and, of course, we've been talking about Phil Kessel. The Penguins will try and trade him this summer. He is fine with that. I have that from a source close to both Kessel and to the team. But he has a big ticket. He'll be hard to move. I think one thing that is uh, becoming more public knowledge is that the coach thought Kessel put the consecutive game streak ahead of the team, and the coach dislikes Kessel as a practice participant. Those are the two biggest problems Sullivan has with Kessel, I'm told. I mean, there's the no-hit thing and the no-block thing, but you can work with those if it's just one guy. Frankly, you can work with the other stuff if it's just one guy. Is Sully overreacting? I don't know. It's frustrating to coach a guy like that. And Kessel just doesn't like Sullivan. And he doesn't want to play on a third line. He doesn't want to play with Riley Shan or Derek Broussard or whoever by the way of creating balance on the team. Okay, the balance worked in 16. They loaded up the lines in 17. Gino with Kessel then. They tried balance this year. It didn't work. I would load up the lines. I would move forward doing that. 
But Phil's no treat to play with. I mean, on the power play, yes. But 5-on-5, well, there's a reason Sid barely has ever played with him 5-on-5 since Phil's arrival. If you're just tuning in, uh, you heard Art Rooney, his comments on the anthem policy. Artie Burns spoke out about it after Steelers OTAs today. Artie Burns compared the NFL's national anthem policy to bullying, quote, I feel like it's another topic to get everybody against each other. I hate that we have to go down this route, but it is what it is. We are trying to stand for something, but you single us out in front of everybody. You talk about bullying, that's bullying, unquote. And uh, Artie said that players remaining in the locker room during the anthem is not a solution. Quote, it makes you look bad. The whole team is out there, and you come jogging out. Oh, he's the guy that's protesting. Who wants to go through that? That's humiliating as a person, unquote. Artie Burns spitting some truth there, to be sure. Again, what the NFL decided is not a solution. It's not a policy. It's a giant loophole. Let's go to Jason on the road. Jason, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hi, Mark. Uh, yeah, you're, you know, you're speaking a little bit about Phil Kessel and uh, you know trading potentially. Where do you think his value on the market would be, you know, given those works that he has? I mean, he puts up a lot of production, but, but yeah, he's kind of a difficult uh, asset to move in some ways. Uh, I agree, and that's why I think ultimately he'll play with the Penguins again for at least one more season, or at least part of one more season. I don't see an easy fit for him. You, you know yeah. where they might take him? They might take him back in Boston. I was talking about that with somebody earlier today. Uh, off the air, who knows hockey? He said Boston would be a, a possibility. Definitely not Toronto. Let's go to Joe in North Hills. Joe, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mr. Madden. What up? Hey, um, you were talking about how Phil would, he kind of expressed that he wants to be on the second line with uh, Malkin. He wants to be on Geno's line, period. Yes. Well, my question is, with Derek Bouchard, do you see something similar, not as extreme as Phil, but he's used to playing top two-line minutes. Derek Bouchard has been a top six his entire career. I think he had trouble adjusting to a third-line role, yes. Do you think that's a concern going forward, that he would vocally express something about wanting more minutes? I mean, let's be honest. Who cares what he says? On this team, he's so far down the totem pole, I'm not sure Bouchard's even allowed to have an opinion. But uh, I do think he had trouble adjusting to a third-line role. And let's not forget, when Benino went crazy in the 16 playoffs, he was a third-line center who just played over his station for, you know, a couple months. And if, if, if you need further proof of that, look at Nashville. Benino went there with the intent of them using him as a third-line center, excuse me, a second-line center, and before you knew it, he was a third-line center. I'm not sure that getting Broussard in retrospect to be a third-line center was a good idea. You just needed a good third-line center, not a good center to play third-line. Do you see the difference there? Yes. Um, one additional question, too. Last year we brought in um, Ryan Reeves right. during the scene to kind of police. I guess there was Ruffer's way of just saying, hey, you're not going to police it. We'll do it. Yeah, but Sully didn't want to use him. Well, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying, do you see Rutherford in the offseason bringing in a similar guy? No, thank you for the call. No, it's just not going to happen. 
What, a second time you do that, and then the coach won't play him again? And I'm, I'm a Sully guy, but Sully, man, maybe needs to be a bit more flexible. You know, this team was created in Jim Rutherford's image, not, not his. You know, let's let Rutherford shop for the groceries, and then you, you make the meal, and you use all the groceries. As good a coach as Sully is, I think Jim had more to do with the championships, and Jim's the more proven commodity at his job. Let's go to Randy in the car. Randy, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. Uh, I hear everything that you're saying about Kessel for sure, and I agree. My question is, I know Sullivan obviously can't cut him from the team, but if he saw that lack of performance and if he really didn't like him, why did he leave him on the top uh, power play unit throughout the playoffs? Because that was the right move. Who would you have put there? I was thinking Gensel. Yep, okay, so okay. Well. You know, see, this is where, bro, you got to think, okay? Gensel on the left half wall. A left-handed shot on the left half wall. What about Hornquist? Well, Put him over there and then put Gensel on the other side. Yeah, where is Hornquist's primary strength? It's at the blue paint, right? It is. So, you see, that's why he left Kessel there. The only other option I could have seen was putting Latang over there, where Latang used to play. But Phil was a hot commodity all season. They were trying to jumpstart him. I would not have taken him off that spot either. If he can't play that spot for you, there's really no point having him out there at all, especially given that his injuries seem to be uh, restricting what he did, although, again, Sullivan says they did not. Let's go to uh, John and Sarver. John. Double M, good day. Right. Do you think uh, the Islanders would be interested in Phil in a bid to keep Tavares there? They've got two back-to-back first-round picks. Uh, interesting, but I don't. Do you think that will keep Tavares there? Uh, be better than See, what they've done. Here's the thing: I think Tavares is leaving. Period. I'm not dismissing Phil going anywhere because I haven't thought about it that closely. Although Phil doesn't strike me as a Lou Lamorello type of guy either, does he? <laughs> I guess he's already dealt with him. Yeah. Uh, no, he hasn't. He was gone from Toronto. Oh no! Wait. Uh, wait. Hold on. Phil was in Pittsburgh three years, right? Uh, yeah. That's how long Lou was in Toronto. So, no, he's not uh, okay. with, with Lamorello. Thank you for the call, though. Let's take one more quickie. Seth and Harmer. Seth, you're on with Mark. Good day, sir. Right. Um, Two-part question. One, if they do move Phil, would they try to actually get something back for him, or would it be mostly a salary dump? Good and question. Two, I don't know. Uh, it would depend on how much of the cap hit they would have to keep, like Toronto did. Okay, and and two, would um, Phoenix be interested considering Tockett's their coach? I don't know if Kessel has a no-movement clause or not. I would suspect he does. I'm not sure Phoenix would be a place he would want to go despite Tockett being there. And let me tell you something. If if Kessel did go to Phoenix, he'd drive Tockett crazy just like he did does Sullivan. It's different when you're the head coach. When you're the assistant coach, it's a lot easier to be a good cop. Not that Tockett's a very good head coach, and the proof of that pudding is Arizona had a great record after the new year. Talk made them improve rapidly and drastically. But uh, I think ultimately the upshot will be that Phil will play next year with the Penguins because Rutherford won't be able to make the right deal involving him. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. we got Mark Caballi at the bottom of the hour talking about Steeler OTAs. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. Somebody get me a shot. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. 
We got Mark Cavalli talking Steelers at the bottom of the hour. I'm very interested to run some very specific things regarding the Steelers past Cavalli, like uh, are Watt and Dupree flipping sides at outside backer, and why would they be doing that? And can the Steelers really make up for their lack of talent and depth at inside backer by using more safeties, by designing packages that involve uh, the new draft picks, the the signings, you know, uh, it's it's something I keep hearing. It's something I, I really want to see before I put too much faith in it. You got the first-round pick like uh, Terrell Edmonds. He was a reach in the first round, so how long it going to be till he's ready? Morgan Burnett, the free agent they signed. Anyway, Kabali joins me at the bottom of the hour, and we'll talk about that then. In the meantime, uh, it's going to be a relatively short segment before we get Kabali in here, so let's get some calls on the anthem issue, on uh, the report by me that the Penguins are looking to trade Phil Kessel, will attempt to do so in the summer, and that Kessel would be okay with that. And again, to recap the problems each party has with the other. The Penguins and Coach Mike Sullivan think that Kessel put the consecutive game streak ahead of the team when he wouldn't sit late in the regular season to try and get healthier for the playoffs. Uh, they think he's selfish and they're not enamored with his practice habits. Those are the most nailed-on criticisms of Kessel. And uh, Kessel doesn't like coaches in general, never has. And he wants to play with Geno instead of propping up a third line in a center like Riley Shane or Derek Broussard for the sake of balance. Your thoughts on that? Let's hear them. 412-333-WXDX. Now, I'm formulating a bunch of topics for the summer, which are, well, formulaic. Like, which fast food plate, fast food place has the best fries? That's dumb, right? I could do a half hour on that. And then it's a half an hour off to talk about the Pirates. Uh, best hockey movies, best football movies, best baseball movies, etc. Or maybe I should do, like, worst hockey movies. Did you know there was a movie called Pucked? Made by National Lampoon? National Lampoon's Pucked. It starred John Bon Jovi as the owner of a women's hockey league. I'm not kidding, 2006. John Bon Jovi, as the owner of a women's hockey league, and his sidekick is Bud Bundy. David Faustino. Bud Bundy is his sidekick. Booger is in it, too, from Revenge of the Nerds, Curtis Armstrong. I've never seen it. The trailer was crap. If somebody out there was unfortunate enough to have seen it, call and give us a review. It's a rock and hard play situation because everyone knows about the best hockey movies, the best ones, so there's no debate. Slapshot, Mystery Alaska, Miracle, etc. But nobody has seen the worst hockey movies, so there's no debate. Although the one great hockey movie I bet you haven't seen is The Rocket. I got the trailer up on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. It's a Rocket Richard biopic from 2005. Totally brilliant. It, it, it's in French, shot in Quebec, with English overdubs. Like I said, it's absolutely incredible. 
And I also posted a few clips of Rocket Richard playing, the real Rocket Richard, uh, who was just arguably the greatest goal scorer ever, right there with Lemieux and Boss. He was the first NHL player to score 50 goals in a season and the first to score 500 goals on his career. He should be remembered as a top five player of all time, but isn't quite. Uh, that's for the same reason Wayne Gretzky had 31 less points and goals than Mario Lemieux in 1988-89, but Gretzky got NHL MVP anyway. So check all that out on the Mark Mad page at WXDX.com. Let's go to Ron and Elwood. Ron, you're on with Double M. To hear that the Checkers Rally uh, burger chain's coming into Pittsburgh, awesome stuff. That is good. Uh, Phil Castle, I, I don't think we can use the Ironman streak against him. His head coach chose to dress him. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and a lot of people have said that, that he could have ended the Ironman streak just by scratching him. But then Phil would have had the boo-boo face, even more than he usually does. Yeah, but how much would have that really affected him at that point in time? Not sure. well, let me tell you what. Phil having the boo-boo face would have affected him more than playing hurt. Okay. Good. And then as far as the anthem goes, Mark, um, where else do we hear the anthem other than in sporting events? Well, Jimi Hendrix played it at Woodstock. Well, that was in, what, 1966, 68? I wasn't there. I wasn't there either. I wasn't even born. But, you know... Why don't we just do away with the anthem? Because then Trump would jump all over that. You don't well, understand. Yeah, but he's going to be, you know, here for two or six more years, whatever it is. Yeah, and the and NFL, then, the NFL owners don't want the NFL owners are scared to death of Trump. You got all yeah. these rich white guys who have been bullies their entire lives, and they now they're being together. confronted by a bigger bully. Right, right. Here's what here's what they here's what they should do. Here's what they should do. They should just let the players take a knee, keep it going like it was, not take any money from the U.S. government for patriotic displays. Well, that's the worst part right there. Show some balls and some backbone instead of kowtowing to Trump and the government and to Trump supporters. If all the Trump supporters stop watching football, F them. F them in the ear. Who cares? Okay? They'll still make a ton of money from everybody else. Okay, it comes out of the question of how much is enough. Don't let your greed overwhelm your ability to make the right decision. And and like has been said often in the last couple of days, they're trying to split the difference between right and left, and they're going to lose to both. Up next, football talk with Mark Caballi of TheAthletic.com. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. Joining me now to talk Steelers from TheAthletic.com. It's Mark Caballi. Mark, I know you've been at OTAs. Are the outside linebackers flipping sides? What would be the logic behind Dupree going to the right and Watt going to the left? Oh, yeah, they're flipping sides, but this is really nothing unusual. They did it some last year. You look at the Cincinnati game in October, Dupree and Watt did it plenty. Everybody remembers the game-clinching play where Watt sacked Flacco to end the game in Pittsburgh. He was on the left side as well. It's tough to get a read right now because uh, Watt's been uh, not really in there very much right now. I'm not quite sure why. If it's because of uh, injury or just you know easing him in, seeing what Chickalo can do. But they do intend to try to flip him a little more. The question right now is 
how much are they going to do it? They've always done it. How much are they going to do it? What they want to do is be able to to be able to, you know, not get stale on on one defensive lineman because after a while, these these tackles know know your moves, know how to block you, and they're able to switch it back and forth as well. Plus, Dupree is uh, probably a little bit better on the strong side than the weak side. So it's at its early stages. And like I said, it's not something that's brand new. But it's, it will be brand new if they come out and do it all the time. But they haven't quite done that yet. Isn't the right side more of a pure pass rushing side and the left side's a little bit more cover the tight end and play the run side? It's tough. I mean, the tight end, the strong side can be any side right now. I guess if you're just looking at the quarterback's blind side is the only thing you're really looking at because, I mean, you would think that the, that the teams tend to run the ball to the right more, but it is – you know, negligible running the ball right to left. So there's really uh, not really – I mean, you can always switch what's, what's the strong side and what's the weak side at all. So I think it has a lot to do with well, a little bit of that to be able to do that. But I think it has a lot to do with just switching up, giving different different looks. And you never know. I, I don't know how much they have faith in Chick Lowe playing both sides as well. You never know of injury if somebody is playing one side or another. So, uh, like I said, it's early on. I can't wait to see if this really progresses versus a trial thing and say, okay, we'll just use this occasionally like we did last year. I keep hearing the Steelers can use safeties instead of inside backers. So <laughs> what packages can the Steelers use to try to take advantage of whatever depth they have at safety and cover up whatever lack of depth they have at inside backer? Yeah, it's just an option. I mean, they can do that. You remember Paul Amalu maybe, what, three or four years ago? Well, maybe more than that now. When he, uh, Larry Foot got hurt early on, they used him as sort of a, a de facto linebacker near the line of scrimmage. It's nothing earth shattering unless they decide to take another linebacker off. But what they seem to be doing right now, they haven't really done any of that so far. But once again, that's early OTAs and they're just trying to get stuff, you know, installed right now. What we have seen they've done is kind of interesting is, and uh, Bud Dupree spoke of this is playing some uh, sort of a stack linebacker position. And I know Pittsburgh people are going to love this. It sort of mimics a four-three type of defense where the outside linebacker, <laughs> where the outside linebacker or Dupree or Watt uh, basically stacks on top of the defensive end. One defensive end is on the line, the other one's off. You know, takes advantage of first of all stopping the run. You get some more big bodies inside, and the Steelers are really. Uh, forcing that issue this year. They really need to stop the run. Plus, those two guys can really have the ability to get onto the flat quick if they need to cover players as well. So, I mean, at least for the first week, to me, the most in- more interesting than, you know, the switching of the sides or the safeties possibly being the hybrid safety is sort of how much they might use this, uh, this 4-3 stack type of defense to be able to stop the run and be able to use it. It's just versatile outside linebackers that they're just trying to find different uh, positions for them to be successful. How much do they like uh, the two new safeties, Morgan Burnett, the free agent, and Terrell Edmonds, the first-round pick? I know it's early days yet, but they seem to have confidence in both these guys. Yeah, Morgan Burnett, you can see him out there. I mean, you can tell right away. He's the vet. He can. He knows what he's doing. He can get to the line of scrimmage as well. I think more than anything with him, more than his physical skills, is his mental capacity. He'll be able to uh, do some things that uh, they lacked last year on the defensive ball side of the ball that was able to, you know, rear, 
its head in the playoffs, and that's a lot of communication issues. And I think he's very, uh, very good at being able to do that. And you can see that right early on. Right now, I don't know. I really don't know what the role would be for Terrell Edmonds because, I mean, you don't want to take Mike Hilton off the field because he's had a, he had a tremendous season last year from the slot, and that slot's a difficult position to learn. Plus, he gives them an option to blitz off that unless he's into the dime type of situation, Edmonds, that's the place I can see him fitting in right now, but they haven't showed any dimes so far. Uh, so uh, right now I think that's it. Unless, you know, you know, a lot of times they like to keep a lot of things under wraps, even in the training camp. So maybe we get the training camp and all of a sudden you see the hybrid linebacker, you see sort of uh, that type of thing where we're talking about with these versatile guys, even like uh, Marcus Allen, who's a bigger guy that you can see who can play around the line of scrimmage as well. We're talking to Mark Cavalli. Read his work at theathletic.com. Uh, what happens with Sean Davis? Does his role change, diminish? What are their plans for him? Well, they haven't made it official, right, Led? But, yeah, but it sure looks like he's going to have to be moved to free safety because, I mean, Morgan Burnett's your prototypical strong safety, the guy that goes around the line of scrimmage. That might be good for Sean Davis because he does have the speed. That's one thing. You know, everybody likes about him his ability to go sideline to sideline and be able to prevent some deep passes and be able to get to spots that Mike Mitchell wasn't able to get to last year as well. But it all comes, it's all, it, I mean, it's the theme here of versatility because Morgan Burnett can play free safety as well. So, uh, it, it's just giving them different options as well. But it, it, it's really been not a lot of, uh, you know, difference right now between strong and free. You have to play both of them here in the first couple of weeks, but there's no doubt that Sean Davis end up going to be the free safety where occasionally he'll be able to get in the box because he can do that too, you know, when they need it to, you know, switch things up. Now, what's all this do to the inside backer position? Who's going to play and how much? Well, if we, if we look right now, it looks like it's going to be Tyler Matikiewicz. Uh, kind of interesting. They bring John Bostic in as a three down type of linebacker. And he's working exclusively second team first week of the train uh, OTAs. I don't know. I mean, typically they do that, and then the second week they'll switch back and forth. But I think Vince Williams obviously is your man right now because you know he has the most experience, and he did play. I mean, would he have eight nine sacks last year? Right. Eight nine sacks. So he's probably your best option there. And once again, I mean, it gives you options if you want to play some. You're playing the, the stack, the four three stack. You can put in Bostic and Vince Williams. If you're not, you can slide in maybe Morgan Burnett or Terrell Edmonds into that spot right there right now. But uh, they like what Matikavich can do. I know he's short, he's small, he's but he's a tackling machine. And I would love to see him if he didn't get hurt. You know, what was it a quarter after Shazier got hurt last year? what he would have been able to do if he was given that chance over the past final month of the season. He wouldn't have been Shay's ear, but I can guarantee he wouldn't have been Sean Spence either. They really like what he can do. He's a tough guy that, you know, that he's a little iffy in coverage, something the Bostic thinks he's, you know, is better at right now. But right now they're giving the shot to Tyler Matikavich. But, I mean, if you're going to give – John Bosick, your top free agent, or at least your second free agent, you're going to give him every benefit of the doubt. I'm sure they just didn't want to hand it to him right away. So it's going to be Bosick and Williams, I think, by September 9th. Now here's the big question. Is Ben hate Mason Rudolph or not? Uh, and is Ben going to play one more year, two, three, four, five, eight? What's going on with Ben? 
You know, when this whole thing went down uh, about drafting Mason Rudolph, I said this could be the best thing that ever happened to Ben because he's going to be motivated now to show, yeah, you think you're going to get rid of me? Watch this. And I don't understand why people take offense to that. You should want your Hall of Fame quarterback, the guy that got two rings, to be able to be motivated and want to play three, four, five more years. I don't understand why people would want him to even – we're talking about third-round pick and Mason Rudolph. Okay, if Ben decides to retire, that's a good option. But you don't want Mason Rudolph to play at all. So, uh, But he's getting played a lot. I know we're not allowed to report on who's uh, at practice and not at practice. But I'll give you a little hint. Uh, ben and Mason haven't talked since Tuesday, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> Very good. Uh, now, uh, can James Washington carve out a role? I-, I think he's the most relevant rookie in terms of immediate impact, don't you? Yeah, you know what? He's slow. He's small. He doesn't look like an athlete. But my Lord, is he able to go up. I mean, everything you heard about him coming out of college is absolutely transferred over to the pros in the first week of OTA. The guy makes every combat catch you can see. They just heave it up to him. The guy's like five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. He goes up and he gets it and he rips it down and he makes the catch. Even if the athleticism has to be, it's just something he had to learn, has some sort of ability. That alone is, you know, worth a million bucks. When in doubt, heave it up to the, to the guy and he'll go get it. And I mean, what was the one, you know, not one, but one of the knocks on Martavis Bryant, he wasn't going to get the ball. Unless he was wide open in stride and the ball hit him there, he typically wasn't going to come down with the ball. James Washington does not seem like that man. Like I said, the first day I saw him, I'm like, who is this slow number 13? And I looked on my roster and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's James Washington. And I see, <laughs> then I see some of these catches he's making. I'm like, oh, that's James Washington. So, yeah, he seems like the one I list draft class can easily – slide in there right now and, you know, be able to be able to contribute by the first month of the season. Besides Lev Bell, are the Steelers strong enough at running back, uh, Mark? Uh, that's kind of a tightrope there, especially with James Conner and his recent injury history. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, James Conner hasn't been healthy in two, three years. But let me tell you about James Conner. It looks like he's slimmed down a lot. I mean, I guarantee he denies it, but he's slimmed from his college days. He He's almost half the man he was in college. That's how small and quick he is right now. But once again, you can't count on that because he's never done it. He's never done it at the pro level. Was he have 10, 12 or 15 career carries? And behind that, you got a bunch of journeymen. You got Ridley, you got Fitz Toussaint, and you got a couple young guys. So that is definitely a very iffy position if James Conner doesn't step up and be able to stay healthy. I think if he stays healthy, I am, uh, you know, I'm. I like where he's at more now than when they drafted him. When they drafted him, he was, you know, still recovering a little bit. He was still a little bit bigger. Now you can tell he looks like a pro running back that can succeed in this league. He's not a between the tackles type of guy. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He's not. He's not slow at all. He's pretty quick. He's transformed himself into what you normally would see from a running back. A big, you know, a big difference from Le'Veon Bell. But if he stays healthy, I think. I think Connor could, you know, be successful if they need him in short spurts this year. I saw Artie Burns talked about the NFL's new <laughs> anthem policy. Did anybody else uh, venture a word? Uh, no, nah, it's tough in OTAs because they all come off the field at the same time. If you get one person, then the rest of the 89 players are gone. Uh, Villanueva was uh, informed prior that 
the mob of media was probably coming after him. So he uh, placed himself in the middle of a pack and said, um, I'm not giving you any clickbait, 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 and he walked right through. I don't blame him. I mean, what's he going to say that that's not going to be splattered all over newspapers across this country, websites across this country? So he, he for him, it's probably best for him in his position to stay. Oh, no, probably uh, best and, Probably best that none of them talk about it, but I yeah. agree with the stuff Artie said. And I do wonder, Mark, what will the Steelers' anthem policy be and who's going to make it? I mean, Art Rooney obviously has final say, but you think he'll involve the coaches and players? Uh, I think the players will come to a decision, then present it to the coach and present it to the owner. And, and to be honest with you, when you got like Marquise Pouncey last year stood up and said, you know what, we're standing, period, it pretty much you know, tells you what direction they're going to go to. So uh, I wouldn't expect any sort of demonstrations. However, if you get a certain person in power in Washington, D.C., makes a comment like he did in late September, like, you know, like he did last year, all of a sudden that ignites the fire again and everybody wants to uh, uh, participate. So uh, I wouldn't expect anything to happen because a lot, I mean, you're not going to have Roethlisberger to – Pouncey's already made his his point clear. There's a lot of younger guys on that team, and they're just going to go with what they think is right. And nobody's ever protested yet. I guess I guess it would be easier if the Steelers were going to protest the protest at home than away, because you know they can just sneak out of the, the the locker room right next to the bench, and nobody <laughs> would really notice. So. I mean, they're going to come up with something, Mark. There is no doubt that these players are going to come up with something. They're going to stand on the sidelines with their helmets on. They're going to come up with something to show them that, hey, you can't keep us quiet. I guarantee that. Mark, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. All right, Mark. Take it easy. That is Mark Caballi, a good friend of former wrestling legend, Bouncing Ball Gardini. You can read his work at theathletic.com. And now it's time to Ask Mark Anything. It's my favorite part of the show because it's the last part of the show. Ask me anything you like about anything you like and do it now. Dial 412-333-WXDX. Here's a a disappointing item. Morgan Freeman's being investigated for improper sexual behavior on the movie set. Morgan Freeman. And Don Jameson, our buddy the comedian, uh, host of that metal show, posted a list of his top 20 Van Halen songs, and none of them were Sammy Hagar songs. And uh, while I prefer the Roth catalog, if I listed my top 20 Van Halen songs, I'd have a three or four Sammy songs on there, and, and maybe more. I love Sammy as a singer, and I love his solo work. I, I just thought the David Lee Roth version of Van Halen had more of a sense of humor, was just a, a bit more fun. But... Uh, I wonder if Don was just listing Roth-era Van Halen songs or if he's just counting out the Sammy era totally. At any rate, time to Ask Mark Anything. Brought to you by Chipino Restaurant Cigar Bar. It's the city's best seafood and chop house, so be sure to check out Chipino in the Strip. Let's go to Eli and Katanning. Eli, Ask Mark Hello, Anything. Em. What up? Uh, with Kessel Potu being on the way out, do you think uh, Rutherford will take a chance and maybe offer something to Kovalchuk? It'd be a pretty scary power play if they could offer maybe like three or four million for a two-year deal. Too old. His attitude's not been great. Been away from the NHL too long. So no, I don't think so. And I think Kovalchuk will get more money uh, elsewhere than Rutherford would even think about offering him if he 
indeed made him any offer. Let's go to Matt in North Hills. Matt. Oh, hey, Mark. Ask Mark the, anything. I missed the uh, Kessel news from earlier, but the previous caller made it sound like he's on the way out. I'm curious if I came from the player. On the way out's too strong a, a term. Uh, the Penguins will try to trade him this summer, and Kessler's okay with that. Thanks. So in other words, don't listen to the show. Just call in the last 30 seconds of it, and I'll answer all your questions. Let's go to Joe and Baldwin. Joe, ask Mark anything. Hey, when the uh, in hockey, when the puck crosses the goal, but the play continues, and then there's a penalty, and the play stops for the refs to review the goal. Does the player still have to serve the penalty if they call? In other words, if you if goal? you if you backtrack over a penalty and and find that a puck entered the net, right? Okay, if it's a minor penalty, it is not served. If it's a major penalty, it is. Thank you. Let's go to Don in the ditch. <laughs> Ask Mark anything. Hi, Mark. Hi. Does it ever seem to you that Trump thinks that he's a wrestling babyface, but he's a wrestling heel? Yes. Yeah, he's the clueless babyface. Yeah. He's Roman Reigns. He's the babyface who gets booed. He's best friends with Putin. Screws the common man. Tax minorities. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Trump's policies have been okay for me so far, but I just think he's a friggin' buffoon. I, I just can't get my head wrapped around the idea that we elected a total buffoon president. Do you think, when he's talking, does he ever occur to you that this guy just sounds like he's in a wrestling ring? So do I. Morgan Freeman! Odds, Bodkins. Good talk. See you out there. 105.9 EX.